Today's scripture comes from Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are jealous for good works. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let me pray for us this morning. Father, uh, we need you. I need you this morning. Would you um, help me to share your word with your people? And would you help your people to have receptive hearts to hear what you would say? That we would be encouraged, we would be challenged, that we would go here uh, living lives that are edified by your word, fueled by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is John. I just add my welcome to Brett's welcome and uh, my well done for, for being here this morning. Um, uh, and it's good. It's good to have you with us. I don't know if you know this, but this is the, the last of our Advent series. And, um, and I don't know if you felt this, but it's felt really short. It's felt like Advent this year has been particularly short. It's probably how the calendar has worked in terms of uh, Christmas Day falling on a Sunday. But it feels like this season has gone uh, really quickly for us. It feels like just yesterday that I was going into our storage closet and I was getting those boxes out. You know the boxes. We've all got those boxes that are marked with a Sharpie that says Christmas. And that, you know, it starts with one box and then it grows and it grows. And then your storage closet is entirely filled with Sharpie covers boxes that say Christmas on it. And so it feels like yesterday, doesn't it, that we pulled out the wreaths and the lights and all of the other Christmas paraphernalia that we accumulate over the years um, from those boxes. But um, our, the boxes in my house, they basically fill up our entire storage because we decided when we started having kids that we are going to be the sort of family that really leans into Advent. We're, we're just going to be that family. In fact, um, I, I won't embarrass her, but at the back of the room is my wife, and she's wearing a sweater at the moment, the infamous sweater that has a Christmas tree on it. And, um, and uh, yeah, that's how much my family leans into this season. Um, we want to fill our home, you know? We want to fill our home with, with the lights and the smells and the bells, the signs and the symbols that speak to the season that we're in. In fact, this year we broke one of our rules, one of our family rules. Um, one of our family rules is that the Christmas tree comes out only in December. December 1st. That's like a hardline rule that I've lived by since my younger days. Um, and we broke that rule this year. We, we bought it out at the back end of November. So the Christmas tree saw November uh, because uh, this year we were, we were kind of desperate for Christmas. We kind of wanted Christmas to come. In fact, this year I, um, I decided, you know, because I'm a man, uh, that I was going to put some lights up on the side of my house. First time, first time. Um, we, it didn't go that well. I, 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 put, I put them up at the front of the house. In fact, I was, I was pretty proud of myself. They basically went around the door because I was too scared to go up on the ladder. And uh, I, I took my uh, second son, Noah, who's two years old, and I brought him back. And I said, what do you think, Noah? I'm like, what do you think? Are you proud of your dad? Um, looking for affirmation from my two-year-old son. And he went, I like those ones. And he pointed, <laughs> he pointed to my neighbor's... My neighbor Rod, he pointed to his house 
And I, I felt like Chevy Chase, you know? You get that? Yeah. Here's the point. My family, we really want to lean into the Advent season because the Advent season comes in winter where it's cold and it's dark and usually it's really wet here. And Advent, you know, the, the lights, they give us this warmth, don't they? They give us this warmth, this welcome. And frankly, they give us a bit of hope. They give us a bit of hope. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about hope. And so for those of you that are writing notes, here are the three points this morning. I want to talk about Advent as more than a moment in the past. As more than a moment in the past. Second, Advent gives us hope for the future. Gives us hope for the future. And third, Advent orients our life in the present. So more than the past, hope for the future, and life in the present. Number one, more than the past. In addition to the tree going up earlier than uh, usually scheduled and my poor National Lampoon's attempt at uh, Christmas lights, one of the things that we did this year is we decided to invest in uh, a nativity set. Nativity uh, set. And so Sarah, she bought the Playmobil nativity set. Now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Playmobil. Now, this is not an advertisement for uh, the Playmobil nativity set, but that's the one that we bought. And so we did so because we didn't want to just be intentional about, um, you know, lights and Christmas trees and all that sort of stuff. We wanted to be intentional about teaching our children about the story of Christmas. And um, and so a few weeks ago, I, I I decided to be a good dad just a few weeks ago. Um, I decided to be a good dad and um, I set up the Playmobil scene. And I was like, this is my moment to teach my kids about the story of Christmas. And I was going to do like a live action like uh, story. And so I had the scene set up and had all of the characters behind the scenes preparing their lines. And I sat the boys down, and, um, and I was going to tell them a story. And, and you know, it, it really tested my knowledge of the Christmas story. I was like, Bible in one hand. Um, and so, you know, I began like all Christmas stories do. I said, in those days, a decree was sent out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. And my kids are looking at me like, what is he talking about? And I said, guys, this isn't like a, this is the first registration of um, when Quirinius was governor in Syria. <laughs> and um, you got that, Noah? Okay. Here's the thing, I was telling this story and I'm, you know, trying my best to tell the story and um, I got to the wise men bit and I looked and here's the thing, the Playmobil nativity set doesn't have any wise men, doesn't have any magi. I mean, goodness me, it's a pretty big deal in this story and so this is a true story. I panic and I rush, <laughs> I rush into their bedroom and I find other Playmobil characters to play the part of the wise men. Thankfully, I had a pirate set, and I, I got three pirates, and I bought them back. And the good thing about pirates is they have treasure, right? <laughs> and so this is a true story. And so I'm telling the story, and, but the thing is, my boys know that they're pirates, and now, so I think that the one takeaway from my telling them the nativity story is that they think that the wise men gave Jesus stolen plunder. <laughs> this... this it was a disaster. This, you know, this is the point. There's always next year, isn't there? There's always, there's always next year. Just do a better job. Why do we do this? 
Why do we do this? We do this because we think Advent, don't we? We think Advent is a time for looking back, and it is. Advent is a time for looking back at a story, a time to remember a historical event, a time to revisit the baby in a manger that we've heard about, the angelic songs and and the the shepherds. And I'm hoping that you've revisited this story, not just for your kids, but for yourself, this Advent. A time to remember that there were wise men, Playmobil. To remember that something has happened. Something has happened. And the thing that has happened was the arrival of Jesus. In fact, that's what the word Advent means. It means arrival. In fact, Advent means the arrival of a significant figure. And that's what we celebrate at Advent, isn't it? We celebrate the arrival of a significant figure. And we can see, see the significance of this story in our text today of this baby being born in verse 11. It says this, for, gra- for the grace of God has appeared. That's speaking of Jesus being born. For the grace of God has appeared. Why is it significant? Bringing salvation to all people. Grace has appeared. The New Testament tells us that the effect of this grace, the effect of this coming baby, this gift of God is that salvation would come for all people. That through Jesus, all people could be saved. And in verse 14 of our text, we see how this salvation is brought about. It says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, the purpose of grace, this gift from God that we celebrate at Christmas is both to redeem us from all lawlessness, what the Bible calls more broadly sin, to redeem us from sin and to make us his own possession to reconcile us to God, to make us his own possession, those who live godly lives, those who are zealous for good works. And Jesus would do this, how? It says by giving himself. By giving himself. And and that's referring not to his birth, but to his death. Here's the point. The story that we tell at Christmas is a great story, but it's only supposed to be the start of the story. It's only supposed to be the start of the story. Advent, yes, is a time for looking back, for remembering, but not just remembering the birth of Jesus, but remembering that Jesus grew up and lived a life. Not just remembering the baby in the manger, but the baby who would grow up and be the man on the cross. The story of Christmas points us towards the story of Easter. But here's the thing. What will you discover when you read the story of Christmas is it's just the start. But more than that, when you read the story of Easter, you realize it's not the end. You see, the gospel ends not with Jesus on the cross, but with him conquering the grave. It's not the end. It doesn't end with his death. It ends with his resurrected life. Why am I saying all of this? Why am I saying all of this? I'm saying this because for many of us, Advent is just a story that we tell of events 2,000 years ago. But when we really examine that story, when we really look into that story, those events of 2,000 years ago, we realize that this historical event of grace appearing, this baby in a manger, this historical event has eternal implications. 
A moment in time in the past has eternal implications. Implications not just for today, but also for tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Theologian Fleming Rutledge, she explains it like this. She says, Advent is not really the season of preparing for Jesus' birth as though he had never come in the first place. You know, what we do at Advent, we're not preparing for the birth of Jesus, are we? She says, Advent is the season of preparation for his coming again. Advent is the season of preparation for his coming again. Christ City, Advent is not just a time to look back. In fact, it's primarily about looking forward. So, Advent is more than a moment in the past. And point two, Advent gives us hope for the future. Hope for the future. Now, um, hope, hope is an interesting thing. In fact, hope is a powerful thing. If you really think about what hope is and read about what hope is, hope is a powerful thing. And if we were to try and define hope today, we might say this. We might say that hope is a present expectation of a good or better future. Hope is a present expectation of a good or better future. And so Christ City, are you hopeful this morning? Are you hopeful this morning? I don't, I don't mean in this sort of narrow sense. I don't mean like, are you hopeful this is going to be a concise sermon? I mean more broadly, do you live with a sense of hope in your world? Do you live with a sense of hope about your life? Do you live with a sense of hope for the future? Is your world hopeful or hopeless? Now, it's very likely that some of us have come here today and we feel hopeless. It's likely that your world, for some of us, is not feeling full of hope, but it's feeling void of hope. If that's you, I just want to say that you are so welcome here today. In fact, this might be the reason that you're here today might be the reason why you faced the snow to come and gather with God's people. There's lots of reasons that we can feel hopeless. Lots of reasons. Sometimes it's because of a momentary challenge that is so proximate to us that it feels overwhelming. You know, something that's small, but because it's so close to us, it feels like it blots out everything. Sometimes it can be brought about by depression, whether clinical or otherwise. There's lots of reasons why we can feel hopeless. But I want to suggest this morning that one of the potential reasons for a, a sustained sense of hopelessness is one that happens to us without us knowing. It's one that happens to us when we embrace the theology of the world. When we embrace what the world says about the God that we serve. What I mean by this is this. Hope is ultimately a theological category. It's ultimately defined by what we think about God. What we think about God determines whether or not we have hope. Here's what I mean. 
Think about this. If hope is a present expectation of a good and better future, then it logically follows that in order for us to have hope, in order for us to hold hope, we need to know that someone or something controls and cares for the future. In order for us to have hope, we need to know that someone or something both controls and cares for our future. Hope relies on someone who is both able and willing to bring about a better future. And here's the thing, for the last few centuries, our culture has the resounding answer to who is ultimately in control of this. Who ultimately cares for all of this, for our world, for our universe? Who ultimately cares for it? The resounding answer has been no one. No one does. We're told, aren't we, that the universe that we inhabit is one of blind, pitiless indifference. We're told that we are the product of chance, of some unknown force and we're moving towards some unknown force we're told that there is no god and if there is a god if there is a god then he's like the god of the poet thomas hardy who describes god as the dreaming dark dumb thing that turns the handle of this idol show <laughs> the dreaming dark dumb thing that turns the handle of this idol show Whatever turns the handle of this universe, call it fate or chance or destiny, it's a dumb thing, indifferent to you. As a result, life is just an idle show. Christ City, this is what we have been taught. This is what we are taught to teach our children. That no one is at the helm of history. That no one is driving this ship that there is no purposed end to which any of this is moving towards. And because no one is ultimately in control and no one ultimately cares, what, what do we have to do with our lives? How do we live our lives? Well, we do all that we think that we can do, don't we? When we find no ultimate hope, we find that we, we're rummaging around for some temporal hope, something that is going to give meaning to our lives, but even though there's no ultimate meaning. We find no hope in heaven, so we rummage around for hope on earth. We place our hopes in people and things, in movements and politicians, political parties, in earthly kingdoms and utopian ideologies, all of which history tells us fade and fail at best and harm and destroy us at worst. We're told to make the world a better place. And out the other side of their mouth, they tell us that nothing really matters, ultimately. We're told to teach our children to create meaning in the world, even though the world is meaningless. Is there any wonder that we live in a city of hopelessness? Is there any wonder that we live in conflict, the hope that we desire and the hopelessness that we see out there? Christ City, are you feeling hopeless today? Let me ask you the question, have you believed the lies of the world? Have you listened to the voice of the world instead of listening to the voice of God?
This is the good news of Advent. The good news of Advent is that to a world that is hopeless, Advent speaks a word of hope. To a world in darkness, a light comes. Look again at the text with me. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The appearing of the glory of our God and great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the author writes, Jesus has come. Grace has appeared. The first Christmas has happened, bringing salvation to all people. Easter has happened. But now we live in the present, looking forward, waiting for something else to happen. Not just looking backwards, but looking forwards, waiting, the author says, for our blessed hope, our blessed hope. And what is this blessed hope? What is this Advent hope? What is the Christian hope? The author says, it's another appearing. It's the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope, Christ City, of the Christian faith is that Jesus, who came at Christmas, is coming again at the end of all time. That's the hope of the Christian life. And you might ask yourself, why, why is this a reason to hope? Remember what I said about hope. How is it that we can have hope? Well, in order for us to be sure that the future will be better, Christ City, in order for us to be certain that the future will be better, we need to know someone or something that both controls and cares. Someone who is in control and who cares. Someone who is both able and willing to bring about a better future. We need both the power of heaven and love for the world. We need a God and we need a savior. This is the Advent hope. Christ City, Advent reminds us that our universe is not the product of blind, pitiless indifference. It reminds us that it is the creation of a good and gracious and merciful and redeeming God who is not indifferent to you, but who loves you. Advent reminds us that this life is not an idle show. It reminds us that this life is not an idle show that is having its handle turned by a dumb thing. That our life is a masterpiece orchestrated by a good and gracious God who is in control and who cares. This is the inbreaking truth of Christmas into a dark, hopeless world. Some of us just need to hear this this morning. Some of us, that's the reason that we're here. You came hopeless and you need to be reminded that there is hope. That there is someone in control and there is someone who cares. There is someone who is both able and there is someone who is willing that there is someone at the helm of history and his name is Jesus. Maybe this morning you're stuck in a bit of a rut. Maybe circumstances have made you feel like life is 
hopeless, pointless, meaningless. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8, he reminds us famous words, famous words that as Christians we hold on to tightly. Romans 8, 28, he says, and we know that for those of us who love God, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. When life feels meaningless, even in that moment, all things, it says, can be worked together for good. All things. That God is so in control that he can make all things, even what you're going through right now, into something meaningful. That he can make even what you're going through right now into something good. He is so in control and he cares so much that he can make even what you're going through right now into something good. Advent is a reminder of the good news of the gospel of Christ City. That the humble Jesus in the manger is the glorious, loving Jesus of the cross. The Jesus of the cross is both the Jesus who died, but also the Jesus who rose from the dead. And that the Jesus who rose from the dead is the one who is coming back again in glory. This is the good news. And so the question that we ultimately need to ask ourselves is, do we know that Jesus? Do we know him? The reason I ask that is because there is one thing more terrifying than thinking that there is no meaning in the world. It's to get to the end of your life and realize that there was meaning and you missed it. It's to get to the end of your life and be confronted with the revealing, the appearing of the glory of God. Let me say this, for those of us that know Jesus, this is a blessed hope. But if you don't know him today, this might be a fearful thing. And I want to say that if you don't know Jesus today, you can know him. Because here's the kindness of God towards you. Verse 11 comes before verse 13. That the appearing of the grace of God comes before the appearing of the glory of God. That Jesus offers himself to us first as Savior and then as glorious God. Let me encourage you today, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him, then Christmas, Advent, is the start of a journey to getting to know Jesus. Don't end with the baby in the manger. In fact, don't end with the Jesus on the cross. In fact, don't end with the raised Jesus. Look forward in hope to the Jesus who's coming again. If you know him, which many of us do, this is our blessed hope. So, Advent is more than a moment in the past. It gives us hope for the future. And lastly, this hope is going to orient our lives in the present. It's going to orient our lives in the present. Point three, life in the present. One of the interesting things about hope is that while it deals with a future reality, it, it actually is a present experience, isn't it? 
right? It, it holds not just the future in its gaze, but actually it compels the present. Hope, as I said, is a present expectation of a good and better future. And so where we place our hope is going to inform our actions today, like this day. Where you place your hope is going to direct what you do in the present. Hope, we might say, is like a compass. Hope is like a compass, this thing that we hold in the present, but it's ultimately pointing beyond us. It's pointing outwards and it's guiding us to where our future is. And this blessed hope is like having this compass, this hope of our lives set on Christ. That's what hope does. It sets the compass of our lives. It orients our lives towards Jesus. And the question is, what does a life that is set on Jesus look like? What does it look like? Well, let me just give you two answers. The first one is in verse 13. What does it say in verse 13? It says, waiting for our blessed hope. Waiting for our blessed hope. The author is saying that what our lives should look like if we have a hope of Christ coming again is that the posture of our lives is we're waiting. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate waiting for things. I'm a a product of uh, a productive culture, right? I, I hate... Uh, waiting around. I feel like it's unproductive. I feel like it's kind of, you know, boring. Um, my wife, Sarah, knows this. Um, in the evenings when we finally get the kids down and, you know, it's just like a gong show. Uh, the kids are finally down and we sit down and we, we kind of sit and we look at each other and we start to debrief the day. And, and that's really important for my wife, Sarah, just to have face-to-face time because, you know, most of the time we're chasing some kids somewhere. Um, and so we sit down on the couch and we start debriefing the day and, and Sarah will, will be like, oh, you know, I'm just going to go and make a tea. Do you want me to make you a tea? And I'm like, oh, great, that'd be lovely. And she goes away and she's away for one minute and she comes back and what does she do? She finds me on my phone. I know. Now for her, she reads that as the conversation is over. Like I'm bored, I'm just moving on. For me, I read it as I've got one minute to read an article. You know, this, this one minute where the tea is being made, that's not dead space to me. That's a time to achieve something. What else am I going to do? Sit there for one minute, just not on my phone. You, see, you, you judged me and now you get me. Now, now it's like, oh yeah, that's what I do, yeah. I'm saying one thing to her, well, I'm really, you know, this is confession time. I'm trying to change, but it illustrates my point well. I hate waiting around. It feels unproductive. It feels pointless. It feels purposeless. Here's what the Advent teaches us. The first thing it teaches us is patience. It teaches us to wait. You know, if over this Advent series you've started to try and reread the, the Christmas story, I guarantee none of you started the Christmas story in Matthew 1. I guarantee you all went and you looked for the baby scene or, you know, you, you looked for, you think it starts there. But the gospel writers, they start 
But the Ma- Matthew's account, it starts the, the story of the nativity with the genealogy. And we're like, genealogies? I thought I was past those in the Old Testament. No, the New Testament starts with the genealogy. We skip those over because we think that has, has nothing for us, but you'll miss something. You'll miss that Christmas starts with a long wait. You'll miss that Christmas starts with Abraham to whom a promise is made and it's 40 generations, over 40 generations until Jesus where the promise is fulfilled. And between then, there's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of waiting. Christ City genealogies teach us many things. They teach us many things, but one thing they teach us is patience. They teach us that while we have the power to write history in our own lives, we are not the author of history. Teach us and remind us that the plans and purposes of God are God's plans and purposes, and he will bring them about in his good time. It reminds us that he is God and we are not. This is what Advent teaches us. And you know what? Advent patience should both humble us and it should relieve us. It should humble us and relieve us. Humble us because the future, guys, does not depend on us. The future of the world does not depend on us. And it relieves us because the future of the world depends on God. In the Psalms, there is a repeated refrain that is actually a command, and it says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. For an impatient people, that refrain is something that we need to remember. In fact, Advent teaches us, no matter how hard I try in my Christmas preparations, you know what? It comes when it comes. In some ways, we think that we're moving towards Christmas. No, no, no. Christmas comes to us in its good time. So first, we wait. It's worth saying here that waiting is not supposed to be a passive thing. Like hope is is not a compass. It's more like a ticket that we have in our back pocket and we just get on with our days in the hope that when it all comes, you know, we, we got the ticket. No, no, no. That's, that's not what waiting implies here. It's not supposed to be passive. In fact, there's an activity in the waiting. Look at the wider context of our verses again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, a people who are zealous for good works. You see, waiting, in fact, the word waiting there implies expecting, even welcoming this arrival of Jesus, welcoming. Waiting doesn't imply inactivity. In fact, it demands of us activity. It demands of us activity. It says waiting looks like this. It looks like living godly lives. It looks like being zealous for good works. Look at how Jesus describes how we're supposed to live as we wait for his coming again. He says in Luke 12, he's speaking to his disciples, he says this, stay dressed for action. 
And keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Do you see that? This is the posture of a life that is oriented towards the master returning, dressed for action. Lamps burning, awake, alert on the balls of our feet, ready to open the door in preparation for a great feast, waiting for him to come. Do you know what that sounds like? It sounds like the season of Advent, doesn't it? It sounds like a family that is leaning into the season of Advent, leaning so much so that we live our lives leaning towards Christmas. That's the picture that we're given. That we're to live godly lives, that we're to be light shining in this world, that we're to be men and women who are waiting with a posture of welcoming their master. That's why we sing expectant songs here at church. That's why we sing in Advent, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We're not singing that because we're hoping that Jesus comes as a baby again. We're singing that as we look forward to him coming again in glory. That's why we sing expectant songs. Come thou long expected Jesus, ready for the master to come home. This is what Fleming Rutledge was talking about when she spoke about Advent being a season of preparation. Preparation for the coming of Jesus. Just like waiting for Christmas doesn't mean doing nothing until he comes. Waiting for Christmas means getting ready. Leaning forward. Putting up the decorations putting up the tree, opening the curtains so that people can see your glorious tree. Spending time to decorate the house, wrap the presents, do the shopping. All of that stuff is is preparation for this day. That's active waiting. Christ City, here's the challenge this morning. Do our lives look like those prepared, preparing, expectant for the coming King? Do we live our lives like Advent? Do our preparations have the same joyful zeal that we have when we decorate our homes for Christmas? Is our expectation the same as the anticipation that we have for that Christmas meal? That's what being prepared looks like. That's what active Advent waiting looks like. As I said, what we hope in is going to inform the actions of our lives. But it's also true that the actions of our lives reveal what we hope in. You hear that? What we hope in informs, it orients our life towards where it's going to go. But the actions of our lives, they're also going to reveal to us the things that we put our hope in. And that's the challenge. Church, would we have our compass set on Christ again? Would we have our lives this Advent reoriented towards the coming Jesus again? Would we live as those who wait patiently, prayerfully, but not passively for the coming King? Let me close with this. Um, C.S. Lewis, who many of you know, he, he wrote... A children's uh, book, a collection of children's book called The Chronicles of Narnia. 
And uh, he describes the state of this fictional world, Narnia, as this. He says, it was a place that felt always like always winter, but never Christmas. Always winter, but never Christmas. Sometimes, even when we know Jesus, right? Even when we know the truth of the gospel, life can feel like it's always winter and never Christmas. The reason we can feel like that is not because there's no God, it's because this world is ruined by sin. It's ruined by sin. In fact, the brokenness of this world around me is often caused by my own sin. Life can feel tough. Life can feel pointless. Life can feel void of hope. And I'll be honest, I've gone through seasons like this recently. The other day I was driving home from work and um, it was a, I had a long day and I was tired and I was just, it was dark and it was cold and it was rainy, you know, one of those Vancouver days. And as I was driving along, every so often I'd see a house and it would have its Christmas lights up. I'd see the glow of the Christmas trees through the window. And you know what? It made me look forward to Christmas. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I needed it. In a driving home in a dark Vancouver evening, I needed just that person who decided to put Christmas lights up outside their house. You know, I got home and I saw my Christmas lights and the wreath and the, the tree shining through the window, despite it not being as good as my neighbors. <laughs> I thought, this is what it means to live the Christian life. This is what it means to live the Christian life, to live in hopeful expectation of the Lord. To live with a posture that is oriented towards the coming King. To live our lives, godly lives, humble as they may be, like my Christmas decorations, but to put them out so that when people drive past our lives, it sparks some hope in them. Christ City, we live in a world where many people, even us sometimes, believe that it's always winter and never Christmas. Our job, our living godly lives, our, our being zealous for good works is to point people to a blessed hope. Would you stand as we respond? Mm -hmm.